Welcome to the Proper Lookout Podcast, published by the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. In this series, our CTP experts will discuss a range of topics, sharing their thoughts on an industry trend or an intriguing legal issue, explaining the intricacies of an important case, and hopefully imparting some of the knowledge that they have gained. Well, welcome listeners. This is Peter Hunt in the Proper Lookout podcast, and today is a very special episode of our podcast series because we're celebrating episode number 100. I have with me Vid. Hi, Vid. Hi. And Renee Reddy. Hi, everyone. And I'm not sure why Renee got the full name and Vid only got his, his, his first name. That's just the way it came out. Well, that's, that's how oh. I appear at Cars Assessments and Hearings as well. It's, it's usually just Vid. <laughs> Anyway, we, we've made it. We've made it to episode 100. We're raising our bat Ooh. in celebration and acknowledging the crowd's applause. If we had any Kerwoods caps, I'd be kissing the Kerwoods emblem, like Michael Slater used to do when he was playing cricket. But, you know, we're very excited to have made it to the um, 100th episode. When we launched the um, Proper Lookout podcast in July 2018, our purpose was to announce the merger of McCabe's and Kerwoods uh, with a bang. And we had an ambitious schedule of doing one episode of the podcast per week until Christmas of that year. I remember there were some doubters in the room when that was first announced, but we managed to do that and managed to keep it going for two years now, all the way through to August 2020. We did have a break over Christmas and January each year, if anybody wants to do the maths. But other than that, I think we've maintained our weekly schedule, which is um, I'm very proud of and I'm very proud of the team for maintaining that as I said, very ambitious schedule. So what we're going to do today is reprise what we did in episode 50, which is Vid, Renee and I will go through some of our favourite podcast episodes since episode 50. So kick us off. I think um, Vid's going to go first. Thanks, Peter. But before I do that, I just want to give you a big congratulations and you, Renee, for reaching episode 100. And just to our listeners, you get the final product here, but the amount of effort <laughs> and energy that Peter and Renee put into these things in getting them published and up here, it's remarkable. So you guys have to be proud of yourselves. I know, Peter, this is, I know it's your baby, but everyone's gotten gotten involved in it. Everyone's really excited in taking part and I'm hoping everyone's enjoying it as much as we're enjoying ourselves doing it too. Thanks, Peter. That's enough for the fluffy stuff though. So we'll go on to, (laughs) we'll go, we'll go on to the first. (laughs) I just wanted to start off with the, the matter of AI limited and sync. That dealt with the no-fault provisions and the circumstances involving the driver of a truck losing control due to the negligent loading of the truck. I think you did a couple of podcasts, episode 60 and 64, that dealt with the pre-submissions phase of That's Sing. right, yes. And then we held the masterclass, which was the week after the hearing, and then the decision, which I think came at episode 64 or about a month or two later, and yeah, that's right. I've forgotten that sequence, but that's exactly yeah. right. So it's really, really interesting. If you go back, listeners, and listen to the Masterclass series and then episode 60, then 64, you'll get the whole perspective from the beginning to the end and then the common law ramifications. So I, I thought that was a really good, even though it didn't happen straight after each other, it was really good back to look at it from, from how it happened. Yeah, very interesting. Hmm. Okay, so Renee? Well, listeners, I wanted to discuss with, firstly, I'd like to echo Vid's comments of massive congratulations to Peter on the milestone of a century for the podcast. It has, a, it, had, 
<laughs> it hasn't come without a lot the of millennium. tears. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, is, it is a great achievement that we've been able to sustain. Um, Hashtag a, team effort. <laughs> totally team effort. But to sustain something that is educational, but also being able to reach out to everybody in the industry in a different way and on a different platform to the usual. One of my favorites, and in no particular order, was uh, one that Viv, you actually did with uh, our Paul Woolahan, episode 51. It's not my fault. I had a medical emergency. And that actually clocked in at 128 listens, Viv. So People might have thought that wasn't actually about a case. It's about a real emergency that I made. Because uh... <laughs> they do happen quite often. <laughs> and I just, I thought that was really interesting because it raises real life issues. You and Paul specifically discussed, could an insurer seek recovery from an insured driver who suffered a medical emergency, which caused the motor vehicle accident? And of course, we know that um, this is covered under Section 2.11 of Maya and Section 16 of MACA. And what that means is that the insurer must indemnify the insured driver under the third party insurance policy, unless there's an issue relating to fraud or the vehicle was uninsured at the time of the motor vehicle accident. However, or for example, where you know indemnity was initially extended, there will be some grounds to seek recovery from the insured driver. And what's interesting is you discuss some real life issues where you actually discussed when you were renewing your own CTP policy and the questions that were asked of you, whether they actually asked about whether you had any medical conditions. And it actually makes one think because you you sort of just go through the motions when you're doing these things and you don't really think of when you're filling out that form, what implications it might have down the line, either for yourself personally or in your works because you're a lawyer dealing in this area of law, how that might implicate in terms of cases that you're dealing with. And you discussed that when you were doing it, there wasn't actually a section that dealt specifically with medical conditions. It mm-hmm. um, The form discussed, you know, any sort of restrictions on the licenses or had your license previously revoked, things like that, but no specific discussion on medical conditions. Now, you also did discuss that you found that under Section 21 of the Insurance Contract Act, that imposes an obligation on the insurer to disclose any matters relevant to the decision of the insurer. But however, because the insurer doesn't actually request that medical information from the insured driver, your view was, you know, it might be unnecessary to actually disclose that information. However, there's always a however. That doesn't mean that obligation doesn't arise, but you discussed that it would be dependent on the medical condition and the circumstances of the case. And I thought that was really, really interesting because that leaves open, you know, a big gray area for things to be argued in the future in any, in any sort of cases. So I thought that was an interesting one. What do you guys think of? Do you? Uh, it was. It was. It was interesting. It arose from an inquiry I had received from a client, and I think Paul and I started to talk about it and conceptualise how the issue would be resolved. And it's not the point of seeking a recovery against the person. It's just about the theory and the practice about going about it. And I think the circumstance was someone who perhaps had epilepsy who shouldn't have been driving and at the end of the day I think it comes down to the evidence before you if there's a pre-existing condition and it should have been disclosed I think it's relevant for that insurer to know but in saying that it's not asked so there's different interpretation as to how they can go about it but I think it's a relevant consideration that we have to take when when looking at these matters. Yeah very interesting. So that one wasn't about recovery but my one is I'm referring to episode 84 which is about the recovery from uninsured drivers or owners by the nominal defendant. And this was a really interesting podcast because 
it was an exercise in collaboration between Laura Delisandri from our group and Daniel Ibrahim from the um, litigation and dispute resolution team here at McCabe Kerwood, the LDR team. And they discussed enforcing a judgment down against an uninsured driver. And as they said in their introduction, they had everything, mistaken identity, uh, default judgment, bankruptcy proceedings, garnishee orders, and um, a spoiler alert, the insurer client receiving a, a big fat check at the end. Those are Laura's words, not mine, I hasten <laughs> to add. But it's a great example of some collaboration, both in the exercise of our legal rights, or our client's legal rights, uh, between two groups in the firm and subsequent podcast recording. So that's number one for me. I just wanted to add, it was I think it's the first podcast I listened to which was self-described as sexy. So um, <laughs> I can't remember who said that. A lot of people don't agree with And also we're talking about Daniel, of course. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What's your next one? Um, my next one was a decision from the Supreme Court of Aaron Swan. This was a court of appeal decision. And this was a podcast you and Catherine did earlier in the year. I think it was a decision that arose late last year. It arose because I was thinking about this in a recent matter that came up. It involved a motorbike rider and it dealt with the assessment of contributory negligence in basically in circumstances where a rider of a motorcycle was found to have contributed to the accident in the order of 80%. And that was a decision that at first instance was found at about 50%. And this was a rider who had been travelling straight down a road who you assume had the right of way, but the ultimate factor that sort of went against them was that they were travelling at about 100 kilometres per hour in a 50 or 60 kilometre zone. So their actions were considered to have contributed to a greater extent than ordinarily you would think would in such a circumstance when someone's turning right in their path. So yep. I thought that was a an oldie type of search situation, but a goodie in that it was a, a more recent decision that we can apply to some of the cases that come before us. It's a very interesting case, that one, because it really um, highlighted the death of the lethal weapon theory yes. when it comes to contributing. And That's it's right. more about personal responsibility, particularly when the, the claimant's in a vulnerable, vulnerable position, because that one was on a motorbike going up the inside lane at high speed when another vehicle turned across their path. Yeah, yeah that was a very good, very fascinating case. And I, I remember enjoying that recording with Catherine. I asked her about role models, she, um, which inspired <laughs> her to go into the law. And I think she mentioned. Aaron Brockovich. Brockovich. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, everybody knows uh, Elwitz and Legally Blonde. Of course, that's one of the cornerstones of what, what um, motivated most people to go into law. <laughs> I'm thinking more of um, Jimmy Baluti from The Practice or... Um, yeah, or Saul Goodman from... Saul Goodman. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can use that. That's a great example. It's all good, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're up next, Ray. Yes. So the next uh, podcast that I found rather interesting was episode 90, Contributing Negligence in Blameless Accidents. And th this was recorded by our Paul Woolahan and Lily Barbudis. And uh, Paul and Lily discussed the current state of law and whether finding of 100% contributing negligence is possible. And during the podcast, they discussed, of course, the case that started it all off, which is Axiac, which we all know well about. And no, the current, <laughs> no, I'd love. And um, our current law, which is the case of Davis uh, versus Swift. Now, it was interesting the parallels coming out of 
the Davis case where the plaintiff walked onto the roadway without checking, then stepped backwards into the defendant's path of travel, failing to notice that the defendant was about to pull away from where he was parked. And the Court of Appeal reduced the contributory negligence from 100% to 80%, uh, noting that this was not a worst case scenario. And um, it was interesting because it was a reminder to all of us and an update on the law with respect to this, uh, to contributory negligence, in that there would be no weighing of degrees of culpability and the degree of the injured person's contributory negligence. Rather, it will be assessed on the basis of a value judgment approach as yeah. to the extent the injured person's conduct failed to conform to the standard of care of a person in their position. Now, really quite interesting because then that, that makes one turn their mind to what scenarios would you actually encounter in your in cases or you know people are encountering out there in real life that we'd find a finding of 100% contributory negligence. I know Paul discussed a case that was, you know, I would have thought we'd have attracted 100% and I'm sure he did as well, where he discussed he had a case where a claimant in a sort of a country town had obviously had a very good night and was um, lying blind drunk in the middle of a road wearing dark clothes and a vehicle rode over him thinking that it was a dead animal. And there was obviously some discussion about what finding of contributory negligence would apply in that case. And, you know, I one would think potentially 100% in that sort of case, but it so happened that he received advice from senior counsel that, it was more likely to be 80% similar to the Davis case. And interestingly enough, the case settled, Paul said, for, for around a 90% contributory negligence. So I'm not sure if, if any of us have encountered that unicorn or 100% contributory negligence cases yet, or if the court has yet to grapple with a case of that sort. But I think really interesting area to see what develops and what sort of scenario will actually attract that 100% contributory negligence. Did you say a unicorn? I did. <laughs> That's fantastic. I was just thinking about one of the other podcasts that came up and it, it wasn't brought up as a contributory negligence defense. It was actually brought up as a complete defense. It was a illegal enterprise case yes. that Eden did a podcast on of Bevan and Coolahan. Yes. Now that ended up Helen going as well did that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. That ended up being a complete defense to the breach of duty of care. But depending on the circumstances where you have, you know, a bunch of occupants of a vehicle and driver who all consume drugs and have driven off and there's an accident, you could also, I'd imagine that type of circumstance could give rise to a circumstance of 100% contrib neg being found. It just depends on the facts, I think, ultimately, in the case. This is a bit controversial, but um, I've got a conceptual difficulty with 100% contrib. Because it only arises when, Tell us more. Well, it only arises when there's <laughs> when there's been a breach, a breach which is causative of injury. Mm. And if you're balancing relative culpability, then the um, there must be some contribution by the defendant. So it's difficult in that sense to see how there can be 100. percent Yeah, but yeah. that's not to say it can't happen. I mean, the act provides for it. Unicorn, Peter. Unicorn. <laughs> Look out for those unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> Right, am I Our next? next one, Peter. I'm looking at episode 87, which was done by Eden Christopher, Bethany Mailer, and Ashley Trezise. And it's got a great title Gunshot Wounds, a Sticky Fan Belt, and a Started a Horse. Is it a motor accident? 
Now, I'm assuming that's, that's three different accidents rather than all involving yeah. <laughs> in one accident involving a gunshot wound, a sticky fan belt, and a startled horse. Now, that sounds like a unicorn case if it all had one. Maybe that horse was a, uni- a unicorn. Yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> but in that episode, Eden and his and Bethany and Ash discussed uh, Section 3A of, of MACA and unusual circumstances which give rise to injury which is not caused by a motor accident. So they explored whether an injured plaintiff in a drive-by shooting was injured in a motor accident, whether the horse caused an injury involving the use of operation of a motor vehicle, and whether the repairing of a, of a vehicle on the roadside, that's a sticky fan belt case, involved a motor accident. But it's a good reminder that um, there are injuries which involve vehicles in a tangential way, which do not fall within Section 3A and are therefore not CTP claims. Yeah. So it's a good timely reminder by... Um, by those three. Yeah, that was there a good, good podcast. Yeah. The last one I picked to, to raise was one that resonated with me was a, a podcast um, that Paul and Chad did. Uh, it was called From Joni Mitchell to Darth Vader, What It's Really Like Working for the Dark Side. <laughs> um, and this was one of our more lighthearted, lighthearted podcasts, <laughs> but it was a really good one just to get the experience of both, you know, Paul, who's a senior practitioner, a former cars assessor, and Chad, who's more recently appointed, recently admitted on their takes on what's it like working on this side and the examples they brought up. I think but, you should say that Paul's an elder statesman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll make sure to tell him that now. But it was quite funny because Paul's one of our music aficionados here, right? So he tries to bring up a reference to every case and he, with his, his music knowledge, but he, he comes across in the podcast really well as well. So I thought that was a really good one. But ultimately what I found and what I took away from it and from my own experience was that if both sides work towards the joint common goal, they treat each other with courtesy we can resolve a lot more claims than we ordinarily do. So if everyone looks at that's it from a very the good you know, and if and, and that's what came across in that if if we're approaching it and no one is looking at the other side as trying to get a the upper hand or a better or a better position, everyone's just trying to work towards the same goal. And I, I thought that was a really important message that that I took away from that one. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, listen, let me tell you a little bit about my last favorite one that we've had since episode fifty, and that's episode ninety-one. When Witnesses Go Rogue, What to Do When Your Witness Unravels. This podcast was recorded by Eden Christopher, Bethany Mala, and Ash Trezise of our team. And I thought a really interesting strategy was discussed that Eden was considering having to utilize in his case where it appeared to have been a single vehicle accident. However, because the, as the, the claimant said that a truck uh, drove him off the road and, and disappeared. However, they ended up being an independent witness. He said, well, actually, interestingly enough, the plaintiff lost control of his own vehicle and um, found himself in that situation. So phantom truck it was. And <laughs> as, it got, <laughs> as it got closer to the hearing, however, unfortunately, this independent witness got cold feet and didn't want to give evidence anymore. And um, Eden, Bethany and Ash go through the criteria of what will it mean for a witness to be unavailable and what counts as reasonable endeavors to find that witness. It so happens in their case that they did end up finding him by using an investigator. However, that didn't take away the cold feet (laughs) that the witness had. So, And they found themselves in a situation where they really needed to tender the statement 
And they had a witness who then started saying, well, if you force me to go on the stand and issue a bench warrant, et cetera, et cetera, I will just lie or conveniently forget what happened. So, you know, a worst case scenario that any, any lawyer would want to find themselves in. And so a strategy was concocted that they might want to utilize Section 38 of the Evidence Act to enable their counsel to cross-examine the witness and treat him as an unfavorable witness and intended statement, hmm. which I thought was rather quite novel and quite interesting. And I really was excited to see how that played out. But it so happens that they were able to avoid all that risk as they agreed with the other side to tender the police documents before the relevant experts. Hmm. So, look, a good end because they were able to reach that agreement, but didn't give me the answer as to what would happen if we did have to utilize that strategy. So I am interested to see if anybody has had to utilize the strategy. Listeners, if you have, um, let us know. It's, it's really interesting to see how these unique strategies work out and play out in practice. And of course, they also um, discussed the Mac Club case of Boral Briggs versus Cosmides, discussing um, when experts go outside their expertise. That's yeah, everybody's um, favourite case. <laughs> everybody's favourite case in submission. <laughs> Make sure you list that down. <laughs> um, can't use the orthopedic surgeon's expertise for domestic care and assistance, which we all love to rely on in defence of, of the claim. But, you know, highlighted some interesting aspects that we all use in our day-to-day life and managing our practices. But as I said, if anybody has used any interesting strategies to deal with witnesses who've gone rogue, please let us know. And especially if you've had to utilize the strategy that Eden discussed in episode 91, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, speaking of day-to-day life, segue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the last one I wanted to uh, mention was <laughs> episode 74, where um, our two paralegals, Ange and Josephine, spoke about university and paralegal life. And it's one of those more human interest episodes rather than dry legal analysis. But um, and dry. <laughs> I accept that. You're right. They're never dry. Let's say black and white letter um, podcast as opposed yeah, to yeah, <laughs> human interest. So in that one, Ange and Josephine compared what they expected legal practice to be and what it actually is. And it's, it's a fascinating insight into, you know, what they expected when they're going through their legal studies and what actually transpired once they began their legal practice. So it's well well worth a listen. I also want to give special mention, without going through it in detail, but Helen Huang and Amira Haidari did a tri-series on, of episodes on the NDIS, the episodes 73, 76 and 78, which are also well worth listening to. And one final mention is the one the three of us did, Bid, Renee and I, episode 70, which I really enjoyed recording and listening to quite recently, the lessons we were not taught, which is on a similar theme to the one I just mentioned about Josephine Absolutely. and, and Angelina. Angelina. Anything else you want to add, Renee or Vid? No, we're looking forward to the next 50 to get us to the 150 mark, I think. Um, Absolutely. And we'll, keep them, we'll keep them coming. As long as, and if there's any topics that any of you listeners want us to talk about, please let us know. Do send us those hot requests. Yeah. <laughs> we're willing to accommodate. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this has really been one of the best things I've ever done the Prop Lookout podcast. It's been a wild ride, but it's been a great experience, particularly, you know, sometimes scrambling late in the week to identify a, a topic and get it recorded <laughs> to maintain our... Just got to live on the edge. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to maintain our publishing schedule. But um, Renee, I really, I really appreciate your efforts in recent times to bring more order to the process, particularly <laughs> having <laughs> a bank of episodes ready to go so that we didn't have to do that scrambling I just described. 
from week to week. We care so much. We just want to make sure that you have all these episodes (laughs) waiting for you. (laughs) That's right. We know you're waiting with bated breath every week for the next publication. Absolutely. (laughs) And we'll leave a link to the podcast page on our website so you can go through and have a stroll through the now extensive back catalogue of podcasts that we've recorded. And don't forget, you can also subscribe on iTunes and get these um, delivered directly to your mobile device. Anything else to finish off, Renee? No, just excited for the next 50, leading us to the next 100, as Vid said. Yeah, we'll make sure we have, we mention unicorns every, every second or third episode. <laughs> every year. <laughs> yeah, we'll, unicorn is the title of most you of them. You have to now. think of a mythical creature will yeah. be the topic of your next podcast. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks very much, Vid. Thanks, Renee. Thanks, listeners, thanks, for your Peter. time. Thanks, Renee. And, thanks, Peter. Uh, thanks, Vid. And don't forget, it's dangerous out there. So whatever you're doing, make sure you keep a proper lookout. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on anything discussed, please contact Peter Hunt at peter.hunt at or visit our website to see McCabe Kerwood's full team of specialists.